thank you, Chris. I want to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word. Please open it to the Gospel of John. John chapter 12, verses 27 through the first part of verse 36 will be our text this morning. As you're turning there, I'm going to take this moment just to give you an update on how Emma's doing. It's been a little over two weeks now since she had her gallbladder removed and so far is doing well. Uh, you know, we still had a few bumps in the road with her oxygen level, but overall, we've been very, very thankful. Uh, this past week, she resumed therapy, and the therapists were very, very encouraged that she was responding to their commands, responding quickly. Uh, it seems her level of alertness is improved since uh, she's had the surgery. And so we are still gr very grateful and ask you to continue praying for her total healing. John 12. The cross is very large on the horizon for Jesus. He knows it's here. In fact, the passage we looked at last week, some Greeks arrived and came to Philip and said, we want to see Jesus. When Jesus was told that Greeks were seeking him, he said, now the hour is here. The time of his death has approached. Up till that point, the cross had always been in the future. Jesus would say, the hour is not yet here. The hour has not yet come. But in John 12, the moment has arrived. Now as we look at this passage, I wanted to approach it with three main points or areas to guide us through it. What I want us to look at in this passage is first, an example to follow when your soul is troubled. The second will be an explanation of the cross. Jesus not only gives us a model to follow, He gives an explanation of what His death on the cross will accomplish. And then the final point will be a challenge to receive. So let's dive into this text. Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him. We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, 
Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Let's pray together. Father, incline our hearts unto yourself. Give us ears to hear you, Lord. Father, sometimes we speak of the cross so quickly, we fail to think of and to meditate on the depths of what was accomplished when Jesus died. And I pray this morning that as we look into this text, that the truth of the cross and its accomplishments will be indelibly imprinted upon our hearts and our minds. Transform us, O God. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. There was a painting that used to hang in the Louvre Museum in Paris. It was painted by a German artist by the name of Paul, I'm sorry, name of Moritz Reich. It was a painting that was of a chess game. But this was no ordinary chess match. Two opponents were seated on opposite sides of the board. One opponent playing the, the light pieces was clearly in a bad spot. His face has a look of anguish on it and sweat is upon his brow. And with good reason. For seated across from him playing the black pieces on the chess board is death. And death has just declared checkmate. In 1855, an American by the name of Paul Moritz out of New Orleans was recognized as one of the great chess masters of the time. In visiting Paris, he stood in front of this painting, this painting that had been dubbed Checkmate. And he stood just looking at the chess board for over an hour until finally those around him heard him declare, Stop! Wait! It's not over. There is one more move to make. Death has not won this match. Church, the good news I have for us today is that death has not won the match. That is the point of this text. Jesus, in talking about the cross, is pointing to the glory of God that will be made manifest in the cross. And so today... I want you to live in that victory. I want you to know that even though it seems there are reasons around us to give up, reasons that would cause us to say, checkmate. Goodness knows the last five months in our nation where we have gone through quarantining, social distancing, all the way to rights in the streets cause us to say, that's it, it's done. It's not. God is still at work. That's where we start with this model to follow. If these times cause your heart to be agitated, I want you to look at the very first phrase of verse 27. Listen to what Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. That word troubled means agitated. It's the opposite of peace. It's a word that speaks of turmoil. Jesus, in looking at the cross, says, I am in anguish at what is about to happen. For Jesus not only knew the physical price that was to be paid as he would be executed as a common criminal, he knew that he alone would be bearing the wrath of God over sin, a weight that no human can ever, ever understand. So his response, he's troubled. You and I can empathize with that. 
This is not a Jesus who is far and removed from the troubles of this world. This is a Jesus who comes beside you when you are troubled and says, I understand. But I want you to see the model of how Jesus responds. He says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. In other words, Lord, deliver me from this death. He says, no, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Then look at the prayer that he prays. What does he say? Father, glorify your name. I want you to look at what our Lord does. He recognizes that the Heavenly Father is at work for a purpose, even in the tragedy and even in his death on the cross. So we need to go back when our souls are troubled following the example of Jesus and ask ourselves, is God still at work in my life? And the answer believer will always be yes. God is working in your life to accomplish his purpose no matter what the difficulty may be. Now, Jesus is unique. He is alone is bearing the cross where he will endure the wrath of God. But as you and I go through life, our purpose is no different than that of Jesus's. See where he goes back to? This purpose I have come. Now if someone were to ask you, what is your purpose? What would you answer? Father's Day, as a dad, we may say, well, my purpose is to, to provide for my family. My purpose is to go to work each day. Believer, that's not your final purpose. Our purpose follows the model of Jesus when Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. No matter what your vocation in life is, your overarching purpose is to glorify the name of God. That should be the driving force within us. That just as Jesus is troubled at looking at the cross, but he says, no, there is a purpose that is taking place here. There is a reason God is accomplishing his glory. So too, our calling is to live that God may be seen. Now, what does that mean? Often we can talk about glorifying God's name, and that becomes very church language, churchese, so to speak. To glorify God's name means that the character of God is seen clearly in our lives. So that God is seen as the source of peace, the source of joy, the source of justice, the source of mercy, the source of what we need, the source of life himself. So that we live as large signs pointing to who God is. That is the purpose. And our confidence is that God is at work to do that. Look at the answer that God gives. This voice comes from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now, he, he says past tense, I have glorified it, referring to the ministry of Jesus. But then he says, looking to the cross, I will glorify it again. God is at work in your life, believer, bringing glory to his name, even when you and I don't realize it. Even when you and I are unaware, our confidence is that God is at work. Our problem is, is that often we want to see exactly how. We want to see how the pieces fit together. We don't always get to do that. It's much like I've been told with people who camp seriously. I don't camp seriously. There was a period in life where for about three or four times we went camping in a tent and discovered that our camping needs to be at the Holiday Inn. 
I've been told that there are certain bugs that are called noceums. You know why they're called noceums? You don't see them. You could look in the tent. You don't see a noceum. Isn't that great? You don't see a noceum. Now, if you were to look in a tent and I said, hey, there is a St. Bernard dog in that tent, could you not verify that easily? But if I were to say, don't go in that tent, it is full of no seams. You would probably say, well, I don't see them. <laughs> I'm going in there. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Just because you and I may not see the purpose of God, the glory of God, does not mean it is not there. Our confidence in this life is that God is at work in all things. Whether it be on the mountaintop or down in the valley, believer, God is working in your life and He is working to bring glory to His name. That's the purpose we have. So we go back to that purpose. Now, look at this though. Look at verse 29. The crowd stood there. They heard this. Some said it thundered. The voice of God audibly speaks. Some don't make it out. They don't understand the words. It sounds like thunder. Others said it was the voice of an angel. But look what Jesus says. This voice has come for your sake, not mine. This begs the question, how could it be for their sake when they don't understand it? They didn't understand exactly what was being said at that time. They thought it was thunder. So how can Jesus say, this is for your benefit, not mine, when they don't understand it? Here's how. The benefit is understood after the cross and the resurrection. What happens now, we may not see the benefit of till down the road. We may not see the purpose. We may not see the benefit until days, months, even years have gone by. That's where we have faith that our God is working for the benefit of the kingdom. I love the story that is told of a 10-year-old boy and how he overcame adversity in a very unique way. When Danny Wello was 9 years old, he was in a car wreck with his parents. All of them survived, but Danny, because of the wreck, lost his left arm. It had to be amputated. As he recovered from the surgery and in the weeks and the months that followed, he began going through therapy. And finally, they found a way to help Danny that connected with him. It was in the art of judo. Judo is where you learn to use your body weight and your opponent's body weight against them to flip them, throw them around. Danny found an instructor and it helped him in his therapy. It helped him to build self-confidence. But he was always puzzled because this instructor really only taught him one move. And it frustrated Danny because he saw his friends learning all these multiple moves. And he would say, teach me more. And the instructor said, this one thing is all you need to know, Danny. Eventually, Danny was entered into a tournament. And everyone, including his parents, were shocked because Danny not only won his first match, his second match, his third, he was in the championship. A 10-year-old, one-armed judo contestant. It was clear his opponent in the championship match was well-versed in judo. Danny had his, he had his arms armful. I mean, it was a handful. But the time came where Danny incorporated his one move and defeated his opponent. 
They were all ecstatic. They couldn't believe this. Danny had won. And so Danny came to his coach and he said, I don't believe it. I only had one move and I won. And the coach said, Danny, let me tell you why you won. That one move that you learned, the only counter move is to grab your opponent's left arm. What looked like the surest of defeat was the way to victory. That's the cross. What looked like the defeat was the greatest victory. So we follow the model of Jesus in our agitation. When our souls are troubled, we say, Lord, I have a purpose. That purpose is to glorify your name. God, you're working in this adversity to glorify your name. And that will be for the benefit of your kingdom and ultimately for my benefit. So we trust. But that trust still leads us to the cross. That's what Jesus explains next. Verse 31 through 33. I'm sorry, through 35. Jesus describes what's going to take place on the cross in three ways. He says, now is the judgment of the world. The cross is where the world has been judged. Now some may say, isn't that contrary to what Jesus said in John chapter 3 when he said, I've not come into the world to condemn the world? This is not contrary at all. Condemnation speaks of delivering the verdict and carrying out the sentence. Jesus did not come at that time to point a finger and carry out the sentence of God's judgment. But on the cross, he says, is the dividing line that separates the world. You see, we look at the world and we see divisions in so many ways. We see racial divisions. We see ethnic divisions. We see political divisions. We see social divisions. We see economic divisions. But I believe our God looks at the world. He only sees one division, the saved and the unsaved. That's it. And quite frankly, that's the only division you and I should be concerned about. Those that know Christ and those that need to know the gospel and believe. And the cross is the dividing line between the two. Now is where you understand where you stand. And where you stand is always judged in relation to the cross. As I said last week, there is no such thing as crossless Christianity. One either believes that Jesus is the Son of God, God that died on the cross for our sins. Or you reject that truth. That's what he means when he says judgment's coming to the world. Our hearts are revealed. We see where we truly stand. Back in the early 80s, Goody's Department Store was a huge one in in East Tennessee. And the flagship store was in my hometown of Athens. They built this store there that was huge for Athens, quite larger than the little town of Athens Mayberry needed to have. But one of the, the... ways that they were promoting this store was that it had special lights in it. According to the promotion, these lights revealed the true color of the clothes as they were there in the store. So in other words, you didn't buy a shirt thinking it was navy blue only to walk outside and discover that it's royal blue. Oh, no, 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 no. You didn't buy a shirt thinking it was crimson red only to find out that it is really mahogany red. That wouldn't do. You could see in the light what it really was. When Jesus says, now is the judgment of the world, He is saying the cross reveals our colors. It's the dividing line. He goes on to describe what the cross is about next when He says, the ruler of this world 
will be cast out. The cross is the defeat of Satan. People will often ask me, do you believe that Satan is real? Yes, I do. I believe he is our adversary. I believe he is a liar and the father of all lies. I believe he works to lead rebellion against God. But I also believe that he is defeated by what Jesus did upon the cross. I believe his power is curtailed. And what that means is that you and I do not have to follow the temptations that Satan lays in front of us. We don't have to. We are free and he is defeated. Now the question often comes then, well if he is defeated, if the cross is when he was cast out, when he was defeated, why is he so powerful now? Why do we still experience him? Yes, he still exerts power, but he is defeated. Last week I got a great visual of this one of the things that Emma does as she does it twice a day is she puts on a percussion vest that helps keep her lungs loose it vibrates and, and shakes and when she's wearing that we'll often turn something on the TV and sit beside her and talk about what's on the TV and for some reason we had pulled up an old episode of man versus wild with Bear Grylls you remember that show the man that will eat anything well, in this instance, Bear was in the, the Baja Desert showing us how to survive because I fully expect to be trapped in the Baja Desert soon. As his journey, he came across a rattlesnake. Well, Bear killed this rattlesnake, and he severed the head. And if you're not aware, of course, the snake's body was still moving even after the head was severed. But then Bear stuck his knife into the snake's head, and he said, now what we need to do with this is bury it because even though the head has been severed from the body it can still bite so he buries the head that's a picture of our enemy the head has been severed but he will still bite my problem is I kick the dirt off the buried head all too often and cooperate all too easily with his lies but we need to remember that when we give in to that temptation, we are following the counsel of a liar who has been defeated and will lead us away from God. So he is saying the ruler of this world is no more. He's defeated. He is cast out on the cross. And then we come to the third thing that Jesus teaches about the cross. When I am lifted up, verse 32, I will draw all people to myself. Now this is not teaching a universalism. Jesus is emphasizing the truth that salvation is available to all people. Now remember, back in verse 20, what started this whole conversation was the arrival of Greeks. Those that were certainly outside of the Jewish faith. And upon their arrival, Jesus says, now is the time of the cross. Now is the time whenever we, when I will die and bring all the world. So his point here is saying that if I am lifted up, Referring to his death, that's what John makes clear in verse 33. He was showing what kind of death he would die by being lifted up on the cross. He says, I will draw all people into myself. So what that means is no matter race, no matter ethnicity, no matter social background, no matter where you've been or what's happened in your life, you can be saved by Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. That's the point he's making. That as I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. That's why the picture described in Revelation is so glorious in Revelation 7 where John says, I looked out and I saw 
people from every race, tribe, tongue, and nation. Why? When Jesus died on the cross, the wall of hostility was torn down and all could be saved. So that leads us then to the challenge. The challenge comes in a question that people ask. They said, we've heard in the Torah that the Christ remains forever. The Jesus, the Messiah, will live forever. So how can you say, Jesus, that the Son of Man will be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? You see, they're trying to process what's going on. Okay, Jesus, you've referred to yourself as the Son of Man. You've said you're the Messiah. How can the Messiah live forever? And you're saying you're going to die on the cross. Now, you'll notice, as he often does, Jesus does not give a direct answer to their question. Rather than doing that, he issues a challenge. Jesus said to them, the light's among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may be sons of the light. Jesus didn't try to explain. He simply said, trust and believe based on what you know. You may not know God fully, but you know Him truly. You may not understand how all these things will fit together. But walk based on what you do know. That's the challenge for us today. We are not guaranteed that we will always understand why things happen the way they do or how the plan's going to unfold. But our issue, our challenge, is to walk in the light that He has given us. That's the options. He says, if you choose to go the way of darkness, in other words, you choose to live apart from Christ and the cross, that darkness will overtake you. You see, it's a reminder that sin will always lead us further than we ever wanted to go. And as it's been said, it will cost us more than we ever wanted to pay. It will lead you in a bad spot. For some reason, when I was studying this, my mind went back to my childhood to, to a Christmas season. I grew up in a rural church, and one of the things that that church would do is every year they would go out Christmas caroling about a week before Christmas. This was a big deal. They would rent a bus. There'd be over 30 people loading onto this bus to go from house to house Christmas caroling. And at the senior adults, we would deliver a, a basket. And I was eight or nine years old, so you can imagine what the big deal for us was. It was the food afterward and then running to get back to the bus after we sang. So as we're finishing up, we wish you a Merry Christmas. All us kids are trying to wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. This one time, my brother got the head start on us. He took off. Unfortunately, he outran all the flashlights. And he forgot that there was a gate that we had come through. And he headed straight toward the bus forgetting the gate, and running into a barbed wire fence. Now, thankfully, it was very cold. And he was layered up like Ralphie's little brother in a Christmas story. He didn't feel a thing other than laying on his back wondering what happened. And I thought as I was studying this, what an appropriate picture of what happens in darkness. You hit what you don't see. And you find yourself laying on your back broken. That's the challenge for us. Jesus has laid out a model to follow when your soul's troubled. 
Remember your purpose. He's explained what the cross is about. And he's given us this challenge. Walk in the light. Now we are not doing formal invitations like we normally do, but that doesn't mean you can't respond where you are. I want to lead us in a prayer, and then Chris is going to come and lead us in singing again. And I want us to use this time to ask ourselves how we need to respond. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word is truth. And Lord, this morning as we've talked about the model you've given us to follow, I ask you by your spirit to search our hearts and our minds. When adversity comes, as it is sure to, are we following your model? Believer, I ask you, in the midst of adversity, will you remind yourself that God is at work? You may not see how, where, or what He's doing, but be confident God is at work for His glory. How do you respond to the cross? That's the dividing line. Have you professed faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe it's the other direction. Maybe you have forgotten that we are tasked with glorifying God by telling of the cross, by speaking of the fact that if He's lifted up, all can come. Remember the cross. And finally, there is the challenge. Will you walk in the light? knowing that He empowers you and that in doing so you become sons of the light, you reflect the character of God. Father, these things are greater than we are, so help us. Empower us by Your Holy Spirit that we might live knowing it is not checkmate. In Jesus' name, Amen.